Hello! Welcome to the Age of Cinema. I I don't know why I'm doing that big intro. I should be doing it with a big echo. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> welcome, 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 welcome. Do, do, do. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, oh. Do, do, do. Ham bone. I know, I'm a ham radio. <laughs> but you married that. An adorable uh, ham radio. Aw. Alright. I never heard a ham radio described as adorable, so You're I'm glad adorable. to be first. Alright. Well, enough of that. I'm Jack. And with me, of course. Wifely duty Corey. Yes. And um, we're, we're I I just wanted to talk about a few of the summer movies that we've seen recently that um, instead of having like one episode per movie or whatever, we'll just talk about a few of them. And actually, the first one will be one you haven't seen, so you get to watch me kind of rant a little bit for a little while. I will be your therapist. Thank you. Well, I mean, it's not it's not going to be like Bohemian Rhapsody where I'm giving like an autopsy. Um, it's me just kind of bitching about one movie, and then the other two movies will be things that we have seen in our still playing in theaters and you know we do want to talk about um but no the first one was something that i saw today and you know all my trouble seemed so far away at one point <laughs> <laughs> you know i mean <laughs> hey jack don't make it bad but no i am gonna make it bad um no it I so sounds like the filmmakers made it bad rimshot Oh, but I'm you're a, you're a corn radio. <laughs> one corn, one ear out the other. Yes, I have not seen this movie, but yes, I've developed what? strong feelings from seeing the trailer a bunch of times and reading okay. slash listening well, to a bunch well, of reviews. I should say that the movie that in question is called Yesterday. Um, this just came out. Um, it was last week, but I finally caught up with it uh, today, and. I, I went into this. I wasn't that thrilled by the trailer either. Um, <clears throat> I had seen it a bunch of times, and I I initially thought, um, I guess it seems cute, but there are things in the trailers that just seem like they're not doing a lot with the premise. And the premise, of course, is that this guy uh, named Jack. I guess <laughs> 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 actually his full name is Jack Malik. So, uh, clearly he's the son of Terrence Malick. No, um, <laughs> he, um, is a guy who's trying to make it as a musician, not really working out too well. He's been trying to do it for 10 years, and part of it is because he, frankly, isn't that great. Like, he, he tries to write these songs, and he's, he performs as a solo, but, you know, we see at the beginning of the movie, only, like, the same four people keep showing up, which includes, uh, Lily James, Who's ba you know, he's kind of like his manager, his close friend, confidant, what have you. Then we get our Twilight Zone premise that kicks in, where our normal guy, you know, like, I should do Ron Serling voice. <laughs> this guy, Jack, Jack Malik, thought the world would come to him. <laughs> Little did he know how much it would come and keep coming. No, <laughs> you're making it a porno now. <laughs> Yesterday, a triple X parody. No, um, he's riding along one night in his bike. Suddenly, for some unknown reason, all of the lights over the entire world go out for twelve seconds. Uh, he gets hit by a bus and knocks his head. It's it's in a way it's the 
it's the premise that we've actually had a couple of times this year because uh, we had and isn't isn't it romantic or isn't she romantic? Which one was that? Isn't it romantic? Isn't it romantic? Thank you. And also that movie which we neither of us saw, What Men Want, which is hit your head, things go wacky. It's the year of brain trauma cinema. <laughs> well, I think like our country's kind of living through <laughs> brain trauma. <laughs> So maybe it's apt. Maybe that's how Hollywood's reacting. You know, like everyone, every t- Hollywood usually reacts to cultural moments, and we're we're all having brain trauma. Um, but no, he wakes up, and you know he's lost a couple of teeth, but otherwise he seems all right. But it turns out, uh oh, he plays a Beatles song on his guitar, and no one's ever heard of the Beatles. Uh, it turns out they never existed. They. Evaporated straight through the walls, <laughs> like Shutter Island style, um, and so that kicks off the you know the main me of the story where Jack realizes, oh hey, you know instead of uh, being you know this guy who can't really make it as a musician, I'll just play the Beatles songs I know and you know try and make it like that, and immediately, oh my God, he becomes uh, famous overnight. Um. Well, here's the thing. I'll give credit if, where credit's due. Now, the movie's directed by Danny Boyle, and that was that, that was probably the main reason I still decided to go see this. So I'm a Danny Boyle fan. I've you know seen all of his movies, well, except for m- millions. I've seen all of his movies in the theater since The Beach. Um, <laughs> sadly, this might be quality wise like the Beach, but I'll get to that later. Um, it's also written by Simon Curtis, and that's where. I'll give Simon Curtis credit for this. I think, you know, this is in a summer where you have stuff like Aladdin and The Lion King and Dark Phoenix and all these other fucking properties. This, at least I could tell, was pitched to someone. This was some, you know, Simon Curtis had an idea. He went to producers or studio and said, look, here's my idea. Guy gets hit on the head. Beatles suddenly never existed. He becomes rich off of Beatles songs. Problem, though, is after that, he had to write a script. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where it kind of falters. Because actually, I think the idea, like, has... It, it's actually explored in the movie in certain little ways that I thought was okay. And I actually preferred the movie... Because basically the movie is two things. It's following this guy, Jack, played by Himesh Patel, who... I don't think you've seen before. Like uh, Dev Patel, um, he's now getting his big break. Um, the the thing is, it you know he he immediately he starts playing these Beatles songs, and he it's not like it actually immediately happens quite overnight. Like he plays in one of his usual places, and a guy notices him and says, "Hey, I really like that song. Why don't we?" you know, get you on record. And then he passes out CDs, and that's when Kate McKinnon comes in the movie. And I don't know, you saw Kate McKinnon in the trailer. Yeah. Um, I've heard she's not good in the movie. I think, here's the thing, I think she's miscast. I think that this movie, it, they try to bring her in, and she's doing her shtick basically. She's doing like, I'm weirdo Kate McKinnon and I'm going to do all these little ticks and weird things. And oddly enough, I kind of enjoyed that in something like Ghostbusters because at least that was something 
different in that movie, where a lot of the rest of it, like in Ghostbusters, in that ensemble, Kristen Wiig and Melissa McCarthy were, you know, van- vanilla bread. <laughs> and, you know, she was at least something doing something a little out there. In this case, I mean, she's basically playing, and uh, I, 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 this movie popped into my head uh, as I was watching this, and that's this is not a compliment. The movie Gem and the Holograms. <laughs> <laughs> Notorious bomb, Gem and the Holograms. Which we have seen. The one movie that Jason Blum has said he regrets making, <laughs> which is a lot. That was the movie that, that was the adaptation of the 80s cartoon that had nothing to do really with the 80s cartoon. Like, I was in that movie, you had Juliette Lewis, who was the, um, like, the record executive. She's, you know, nefarious and she's going to split apart Jem from the rest of her sister and her bandmates and whatever. And I get that's kind of Kate McKinnon's function here. But there's no dimension at all to her. She basically comes on and is immediately like, yeah, I'm going to sign you up and we're going to take most of your money you make from your records. You're going to make a lot of money, but we're making money. We're just like craving. Like, there's no moment where she seems like a real human being. And because of that, it's like she actually kind of got on my nerves in this. And she doesn't always. Like, I find her funny sometimes. Like, she's great on SNL. But you need to know how to use her. And in this, I don't I don't think necessarily she did anything wrong. I think Danny Boyle mis either miscast her or misdirected her to, you know, play play it up and be like the comic relief. Which I can't believe I'm saying these words. The comic relief is already there in the movie and his name's Ed Sheeran. I heard he was good in the movie. Yes. Ed <laughs> Sheeran. Now Ed Sheeran pops up and he like, he hears Jack's, like, kind of demo CD doing these Beatles songs. And he's like, oh, my, this is really good. I'm Ed Sheeran. And I'm, I don't know if I'm doing <laughs> Ed Sheeran voice. I need to sound more ginger. And doesn't <laughs> mean called, like, a ginger hobbit. Yeah, and you are not a ginger hobbit. Aw, thank you. <laughs> um, but he's actually kind of amusing. Like, he kind of gets, like, he's basically playing a dickish version of himself. He gets to... Um, God, I feel like there was another movie where, like, there are a lot of movies where celebrities play dickish versions of themselves. I'm having trouble thinking of one right now. Well, you played a dickish version of yourself in a movie. (laughs) Oh, God, you're bringing that up. Wow, that's... Lines of glory, Oh, oh, you're making me feel old. Oh, that was almost ten years ago now. Oh, time flies by. That was like yesterday. It's such a good movie, everyone. All right. Check it all right. out. All right. Might, to glory. I do think it's probably better than yesterday. But Ed Sheeran, though, he he's funny. It's he, better he, than Citizen Kane. Yeah. Lines now, the glory. thing is, though, I almost don't blame Kate McKinnon and even Ed Sheeran. Like, what they're given, the script is basically like a sitcom in a lot of ways. And I, I know I say that disparagingly. Not all sitcoms can, are necessarily bad. I mean... Today is the 30th anniversary of the beginning of Seinfeld, which is one of the greatest shows of all time. Maybe the greatest show of all time. And it's a sitcom. But in this case, my problem is just A, wasted potential, and B, the romantic comedy that... Really romantic dramedy. Really, it's almost like a drama in some ways. That they jam into this movie... And reminds me why rom-coms are basically dead. 
They live on Netflix, and that's it. Yeah, I mean, occasionally you get a fun rom-com on Netflix, but in theaters, with the exception of Isn't It Romantic, I can't think of, like, a good romantic comedy in a while. And in this case, like, Simon Curtis, you know, and this is his bag. I mean, this is the guy that made Love Actually, wrote Notting Hill, uh... I want. I don't think he had something to do with about a boy. I think that was someone else. Um, that did you see that time movie? No. Do you know what I'm talking about? about I o- I have almost watched that movie half a dozen times. I have yeah. almost watched that movie so many times, but no, I haven't. Yeah, seen I it. think he did that. Um, you know, and I think he can. Ha- he has his talents, I guess. Um, but I feel like I got kind of like some of the worst shtick from Simon Curtis in this movie. Uh, it, it the, I mean, you have a premise where the idea is, it's not just the Beatles, by the way. They decide to also make it, as a joke, like, for example, Coca-Cola. No one's ever heard of Coca-Cola before, except for this guy, Jack. And, or they, they'd never heard of cigarettes which, Which is ridiculous. That that changes like forget about like everything. Well, forget about twentieth century history. Cigarettes have been around for centuries. Also, if there was no tobacco, the entire course of human history would be different. Yeah, like <laughs> I feel like if we had slavery, never- like was uh, to people worked on tobacco, like slaves worked on tobacco. Yeah, farms. just think about the consequences for the international economy if no one had ever farmed tobacco. That just seemed really random, and you know, it would have been one thing. He should have kept it to like pop culture stuff, like at the very end of the movie, you know, the, as one last little ha ha cue pl- like laughter sign joke. He makes like a reference, like Jack says near the very end of the movie. I feel like Harry Potter, and Lily James is like, "Ooh," and then you know, Google Harry Potter looks like Harold something pops up. Now, Coca. The the fact that here's the funny thing: Coca Cola doesn't exist, but Pepsi does. I feel like, why would you have that? Make my father happy. Because he prefers Pepsi. I mean, that actually made me laugh a couple of times. Like, there's a point where he accidentally asks someone, like, can I have some Coke? And, like, he asks, like, an, an airline stewardess that. And she gives him a look like, I'm sorry. And that that actually was okay. Now, is there... Does the movie suggest any connections between these products? Like, what is the common denominator between the Beatles, Coca-Cola... Cigarettes. There is no Harry Potter. There is none. Now I know the movie also mentions the band Oasis doesn't exist. Yeah, which I get that because it's a joke on the fact that they're transparent Beatles ripoffs. Yeah, but at the same time, see that was a problem. That I I feel like the movie could have or should have been a little bit more about exploring that because yeah. there's so much rich potential there. An example that I was thinking of watching it is the fact that. Um, if you didn't have the Beatles, I also don't think you would have had the Beach Boys, or at least how we know the Beach Boys today, because they, the Beatles and the Beach Boys in the 60s, it's well documented that they had like kind of like a friendly rivalry competition. And like the Beatles would hear something from the Beach Boys and then try to copy that and do something themselves. Then the Beach Boys, for example, would hear 
like them do something, and that's how you get pet sounds, and pet sounds leads to Sergeant Pepper. So if the Beatles don't exist, you don't have pet sounds, for example, or you could have had other little things. Like again, because the Beatles were in the Beatles movies, A Hard Day's Night and Help. What does the director of that movie go on to do? Maybe. Richard Lester, who made Superman 2 and 3, which, okay, maybe the world would be better without Superman 3. <laughs> maybe but, Jack Nicholson would have never hit it big. Wait, what? Isn't Jack Nicholson in Help? No. Yes, he is. No, he's not. Jack Nicholson in Help? What are you talking I about? I thought he was. No. I thought he was. Th- no, nobody oh. else famous was in those. I think I might be confusing it with the Monkees movie. Oh, oh, yeah, 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 oh, hey, well, there you go. Yeah, there's no monkeys. Because... Yeah, yeah, well, no, no, yeah, Jack Nicholson wrote the movie Head. That's what you're thinking Okay, of. because I did watch <laughs> the VH1... I watched the movie Head. That movie's I've never fun. Seen he- I've never seen Head, but I did watch the VH1 biopic about the monkeys when I was in high school. Oh, and they have an actor playing Jack Nicholson yes. that? Holy <laughs> shit, I need to see that now. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah, that's one of those times where, like, Jack Nicholson, like, all right, man, we got to do some acid now so we can get into the groove of this thing. And, yeah, I think he dropped acid before he wrote the movie Head, which you could tell. But, yeah, it's... And also, the other thing, the movie that I think... There are a couple things I need to bring up, but one major thing I think the movie... is It's a major problem, I think, is it it tries to make you think that it was the Beatles' songs solely that were so iconic. And no, the reason the Beatles became so big were because of the four of them. Yeah. Because of their personalities. I mean, you know, I don't think our parents' generation, the the women that back then would have had sexual awakenings <laughs> if they were just four random schlubs. You know, I mean, there's a reason why, like, my parents had lots of Beatles records and not, like, uh, I don't know, like, records by the Turtles or something like that. Well, like, it was because the, you know, it was the four of them. Like, I've seen the Beatles anthology, you know, those girls screaming their heads off and buying, like, a million Beatles records. They weren't doing, I mean, you know, they were, they did like the songs a lot, but it was also because of their personalities, because they were very charming and very much this and that. If you just have this one guy performing these songs in 2019, I'm sorry, that's not going to totally cut it to make him famous. Yeah, and one thing I really wish the movie had di- had done, because I told you, I have yeah. lots of thoughts about this movie, yeah. but I haven't seen it, is that... I'm not convinced at all one rando singing the Beatles music would have any cultural relevance in 2019. I mean, well, just think about it. When's the... I feel like... If the Beatles were around today, if the Beatles were somehow around today, um, and they put out a new album, it wouldn't, like, sell like gangbusters. I mean, I mean... I mean, the Rolling Stones, for God's sake, put out a new record a few years ago. It didn't make big waves. Well, They're the Rolling Stones. The thing is, the way our culture is so different now, where everything is hyper-specialized, hyper-localized, niche interests, and I guess, genre-wise, the Beatles are like, 
pop rock at first and then just become rock musicians. Well, well, it's like, well, for even just having Ed Sheeran in this movie makes that. No, I mean, Ed Sheeran is a pretty well-known pop star, but I, I don't know. I feel like he he's not completely beloved like the Beatles. Frankly, the type of music the Beatles make or made, I suggest... And I'm not saying the Beatles themselves. I'm saying the type of music the Beatles yeah. made. The genre of music yeah. the Beatles made. I don't know about you, but it feels totally irrelevant to me in 2019. No, I still think they're, they would be considered like pretty great songs, but they're also... They are a product more so of their time. Absolutely. Who do you hear on the radio making music that's in the same genre as the Beatles? That is any kind well, of cultural cachet. I mean, you could say technically someone like Ed Sheeran. Or it's funny. You know, it's weird. They make a Coldplay joke in the movie. Yeah. Like they say, like one of the characters hears yes the song yesterday. And he's like, it's it's by John Paul McCartney, the Beatles. Yeah. Uh, well, it's no Coldplay fix you. I feel like Coldplay exists because of the Beatles existed. Yeah. Like, I mean, I don't think, I don't know if they're directly influenced, so, but I feel like, again, but my, my problem is more so just, you can't separate those four guys from the, from the music as far as what made them so iconic. Also, I, they try to make some jokes too. Like, there's, there's something I found kind of amusing. Like, this was the closest it got to like, a good satirical scene. There's a scene where Jack is in like this very claustrophobic, crazy boardroom where all these marketing people are trying to show him like, like, cause he's going to put out a double album of, mm. you know, the Beatles songs. And Jack has tried to give them ideas for, you know, an album called Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, or here's an album called Abbey Road. Or an album, or the White Album, and they're all like, oh, "We don't like this. We don't know what this means. We don't know what Abbey Road means." And and then they present this album cover where it's just j his face, and it's called Jack Malik, only one, <laughs> because only one person wrote these songs, and it's actually kind of a clever little scene, um, but. It needed more things like that and less this bullshit romantic plot that is in the movie because clearly Richard Curtis can't write something that just focuses on this guy. Become and also, I get, I know I'm about to go ranting, but I think it's a pro. It's maybe this guy, Richard Curtis and Danny Boyle, to an extent, they were caught in this weird situation where. They're making a movie where they're using all these Beatles songs, which clearly, you know, had to cost a lot to to license. Yeah. Um, and so they have to dumb it down a bit. And I don't know. Maybe if it was a smaller movie, they could explore more ideas. You know, like it's almost akin to like a Black Mirror episode, mm -hmm. where you can see the potential there, and they don't explore it, like with. That Miley Cyrus episode we watched recently. Which was lame. Yeah. Um, in this case, I feel like they put in this romantic plot line because they think that will appeal to make it more of a mass commercial hit. And no, it's just stupid because Lily James' character in this, again, she, she's the manager and she suddenly sees her, you know, you know her the one that she you know, clearly loves but isn't saying anything. 
like, oh my god, he's starting to get success, and now he has been asked to go to Los Angeles to record this album. And she puts her foot down and makes very serious things, saying, you need, you know, this is it. Now you've been, oh, there's a whole thing, too, where, like, he's putting, like, little post-it notes on a wall to categorize who, you know, what songs are which. And she says something like, you never put me in the love song column, only in the other song column. Uh. And it's so simple. Like, he's going to go to L.A., and she's like, you, you either go there or you stay here. And, bitch, you've been following this guy for ten years, and now he's about to get some success. I mean, he basically says to her, come with me. And she's like, no. For contrived non-reasons. Contrived non-reasons where all he... And also it's on him, too. All he has to do is, like, tell her, like, I love you. He doesn't even need to mean it. He can just say it. And yet, no, this movie has to have the scene at the end where he professes his love to people, you know, the entire, you know, concert crowd. I know I'm saying a spoiler, but I don't care. Uh, <laughs> you kind of know that's coming. Um, oh, and that's so contrived, too. Oh, and... Uh, oh, man. I, don't, I feel like just unloading on certain plot details. Go for it. All right, so... Be free. All right, so spoiler... Real big spoiler ahead. So, again, like, the main... Like, in a lot of the movie, he's, like, off... He's recording this album. He's recording, you know, his own Beatles album. You know, of the songs he knows... Um, there is one little funny detail, too. Again, it's not, like, a failure. There are certain little moments. Like, there's a running thing where he can't remember the words to Eleanor Rigby, okay. or at least completely. So you see him trying to visualize, and Danny Boyle cuts to, like, a church, you know, picks up the rice when the church or the wedding has been, you know, like th those lyrics in the song. And that's kind of clever. Like, they could have done maybe more with that, but they don't. Um... So he does, like, this big concert at uh, Wembley Stadium. And at this point in the movie, she, you know, now uh, Lily James' character, I'm forgetting her name now. Oh, it's like Ellie or something. She's moved on to dating some other guy. And, you know, he can't, Jack can't stand that. So he decides, all right, I need to make a big move. And, you know, I've also, I've had all this guilt from having all these Beatles songs. Oh, I forgot to mention a couple other weird things. Randomly, two other people in the world somehow also have heard of the Beatles. Why this is, I don't know. Maybe they um, also had a bump on their heads during this <laughs> blackout. It's like one of them's British and one's a Russian. Um, it's like he's performing, like, because at one point Jack goes to Russia and performs back in the USSR. And there's one guy in the audience like, I have a serious face. <laughs> <And> <laughs> which is so weird. Here's the other weird thing in the movie. At one point, John Lennon pops up. Yeah. Oh, you knew about that. Yeah, I read about it. And actually... Uh, yeah, I kind of wish I hadn't known it, so I could have... I would have been angrier, but I knew it was coming. And when I listened to a review today, the people I was listening to who didn't like the movie said, did he beat any women on camera? <laughs> but it doesn't make sense. I, I get what they're trying to do, that it's the inverse, I guess? Sorry. Oh. 
um, as I was saying, the inverse, where John Lennon is alive, but the other Beatles never existed. And in this, it's like they discover he discovers it. I forget how now, but like John Lennon is now, you know, he's a 70 something year old man living like in a cottage by the sea or something. Well, you know, George Harrison is dead now, too. So if it was, if the um, font, if like the world building is all the dead Beatles are alive and the live Beatles don't exist. George Harrison would be in this universe too. So why is George? Why is John I, Lennon there? But I, not? I, I I don't know. I think it was supposed to be for you know sentimental reasons. The fact that because John Lennon was killed, you know, almost forty years ago, now it's like he's but he's now still alive, and Jack can get to hug him, and you know i don't know it adds like an emotional beat and it feels very contrived and weird and that that part of the movie was just very like what was that i don't like how super half-assed the execution of this premise it is. feels a little half absolutely half-assed like i would have i would have enjoyed experiencing more about what things in this universe were did not exist anymore and how they shaped culture I mean, the, again, if you don't have Coca-Cola, man, there goes the ending of Mad Men. <laughs> you know. Also, I wish I remembered more details about this, but I read years ago about Coca-Cola's involvement in, like, international relations and, like, backing coups in South America <laughs> and stuff. Yeah, man. Like, I don't want to see Simon Curtis's version of this. I, I want to see, like... I don't know, like uh, uh, like Charlie Kaufman's version of this. Yeah. Charlie Kaufman's version of this would have been much more entertaining. Like, and yeah, in this, it's all just a vehicle for, you know, the idea of, like, you know, the, oh, aren't these songs so great? You know, isn't it fun to hear these songs? And, you know, of course, you know, hearing the songs, that, that part's okay, but the... the and it's all just, you know, the whole stuff about the record industry being full of greedy corporate hacks. So, like, yeah, again, it's like the idea of this album being released. Oh, that's the other thing. So he, he's, he performs his big concert, and midway through, he announces two big things. First, he reveals to the world, I haven't really written these songs. They're written by these four guys, the Beatles. And here's where the movie gets really bullshit. This is where I was trying to give the movie a little bit of a pass, being like, all right, that's cute. You know, fine with her. He somehow has a way of uploading the entire album online for free <laughs> because it's ready to go, but he's somehow able to, with like his friend to upload the entire album. Now, screwing you, over it's basically a way to screw over Kate McKinnon and the record. Now company. when you say the album, does he faithfully reproduce Beatles albums with all the correct tracks in the correct no, order? No, it's or basically does he mix and match. No, I think he's he mixes and matches. I mean again, the idea is that he doesn't know like every Beatles song by heart. He's not like playing you don't hear Hey Bulldog or Run for Your Life or Which is some like of those the deep best cruts. Beatles song, Run for Your Life, by the way. 
which is you know also a song written by John Lennon that <laughs> features some violence. Actually, uh, Beals wrote a song that inspired the name of my new short film. So that, that's a tease for you guys. Um, but yeah, so he does that, and then he and then he suddenly pulls up. Uh, you know, all of a sudden, Lily James is on camera, yo, and he professes his love. And in the, the audience, at first. They're a bit like befuddled and I guess mad, you know. He and he's in well Wembley Stadium. This is thousands of people, and at first they're kind of mad about that. But then when he professes his love, they're all like, "Yay!" Bullshit. If you found out like after a guy performed like most of this concert, it was this new big hit, and he reveals that like he hadn't written the songs that he wrote, and he was a big hack fraud sham. Would you stick around to hear him give, like, a message of love? No. <laughs> no. God, the script sucks. And, you know, Danny Boyle, he's still trying. You know, he he, he has some good, you know, he has some visual Did tricks. Did he write the movie, too? Or no, just he just Richard directed Curtis? it. No, it was Richard Curtis. Some other guy, I think, also came up with this idea, too. I, I forget his name. But yeah, it's just so much wasted potential. You could have explored so many things that don't exist in the world because the Beatles didn't exist and didn't put out the albums they did. And um, you know, and then it also calls the question the fact that the Beatles didn't exist, then the solo careers didn't exist. We don't have the song Imagine. Yeah. Um, you know, we don't have Jet. <laughs> <laughs> We don't have uh, poor, you know, we don't have uh, George Harrison on The Simpsons. We don't have, I got my mind set on you. I got my mind set on you. Your favorite George Harrison song? Yeah, I love it. You cornball. You wouldn't pick, yeah, we don't have My Sweet Lord. We don't have that album you don't really care for, but you care for the pop song. (laughs) You Philistine. No. But yeah, it's just... You have so many avenues, and I get it. They wanted to focus on this one guy and focus on his journey, but they kind of make this thing. And also, by the way, he mentions to other people early on, you know, I didn't write this song. You know, John Paul George wrote it. Who? All right, we'll just pretend you wrote it. You admitted early on you didn't write it. I'm annoyed on your behalf that it's such a lazy script, that they didn't want to sit down and put the time and effort and thought into it. And no, also, it, it's basically another Richard Curtis goofy sitcom rom-com that even has, like, in Notting Hill. I don't know if you saw Notting Hill. Technically, yes, but so, long, so long ago, ago. I have no memory. I remember Notting Hill a little bit, and it had, like, Hugh Grant, and he has, like, the wacky friend who's played by Reese Ethans. Uh-huh. And this movie has that too. Cause like, instead of Lily James going with him to like LA, this other guy goes with him and he's more of the wacky sub character. And, and also like they do things like, Oh, he tries to play, let it be for his parents and parents aren't really listening. And, uh, I don't know. I'm sorry, but you're about to, you're about to say, it would be one thing if the movie took, a kind of principled contrarian stand that actually the Beatles had less cultural <coughs> impact than we think they did. Yeah, see, that's what would have been interesting. 
if they did that or if as you said if they if he actually was performing these songs thinking hey i could actually the more brave stance by the way would have been like this guy jack in the movie he tries to be more humbled he's more supposed to be guilty oh i'm playing these beatles songs i don't know i feel bad that like whenever people bring up to me you wrote these all yourself and blah blah no what if he tried to be more craven and actually wanted to perform these songs to become you know rich and he only got like number 25 on the charts or something and i don't know about you but in this hypothetical universe i would feel no guilt whatsoever but 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 that's the but that's the catch 22 you have this premise for a movie you can't kind of be creative with it while still getting the beatles songs you got to basically suck paul mccartney's dick while he's still alive and (laughs) basically i have to think it's got to be either really awkward or really like like if paul mccartney and ringo Starr see this movie is it just like we know we're like all that great or is it you know it's a little weird being told we're so great i mean i'm sure they've been told that their but whole yeah, lives. there are so many interesting tacks they could take with this premise and it's so frustrating they choose not to and instead just make a totally generic, lame, romantic dramedy with this thin spackle of, like, sci-fi-ish gloss over it. Yeah, yeah, it's basically, like, a lame uh, Twilight Zone episode. Meanwhile... Meanwhile, though, but, you know, talking about things that get merchandising, I mean, the Beatles, heavily marketable, still apparently very popular. You know, it's also popular... The Toy Story franchise. Oh, well, I was going to make one last comment about yesterday. Oh, I'm sorry. Please, please. One last comment. I'm sorry. I thought you you were transitioning. No, I was going to say that none of this matters because next month, Blinded by the Light is coming out, and it's going to be the greatest movie ever made, ever in the history of cinema. (laughs) I should have known you were going there first. Why did I think I was going to talk about yesterday without you bringing up that Bruce Springsteen love fest. I know, and I am all how about, about how about a movie about a world without Bruce? I don't even want to think about such a world. How about a movie where a guy hits his head and starts playing like, uh, you know, Thunder Road, and is told like, "Wait, who, wait, what? that's so that's a great song. Is that yours? <laughs> no, I didn't write. Bruce wrote it. <laughs> who?" <laughs> And then a guy becomes the new boss and just fucks it up completely. <laughs> the boss, you're not the boss. You're the like tyrant, or I don't know. Well, I'm also. There is no way Bruce Springsteen becomes a big star in 2019. I think it's even less likely than well, the Beatles. Well, Bruce has even said though that he, like, he has more of a cult. Like, it's a giant cult, but he's only had like a small handful of really big pop hits. Whereas the Beatles had, you know, like 20 number ones or something. But yeah, we'll go next month. We'll go see blinded by the light seven times and it'll be amazing. You mean you'll go, (laughs) I'll put like a cardboard stand of myself and you'll occasionally go over to like grope my shirt and be like, why is, why is he so hard now? Did, Did this movie make him so like, placid 
Well, I'll say, oh, all those days in the gym are really paying off. You're even more muscly than usual. I'll take it. All right, so Toy Story. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I'm sorry. I See, I thought you were about to transition, but no, no. Um, yeah, we well, we did see both see Toy Story 4, um, which is a movie you should definitely go see. Yes. Yeah. Unlike yesterday. Yeah. But, you know, at the same time, now... Unlike yesterday, I think. Actually, no. I would. I would say, going into Toy Story Four. I mean, I'd heard some good reviews, but I also went into this wondering, like, I don't know how they could pull this off, because we have the trilogy, and three was such a perfect ending. Yeah, and three is my favorite Toy Story movie. Still, you think? Yeah. See, I might still go for. I might still go for one because it just has like the perfect script. It does everything that you can do in a screenplay in 75 minutes. And it's crazy that the movie's that short and does so much. I mean, Toy Story 3 obviously has that final act of the movie from Mm -hmm. the toys in, you know, going into the incinerator to their final moments with Andy. Like that is easily. Not just one of the best endings. Not not just the best ending for the Toy Story. It's one of the best endings of all time. Yeah. It is a serious, like, super tearjerker. And yeah, after that, yeah, you want... Like, I, I went into Toy Story 4 hearing about it. I was like, no, this just... Don't do it, Disney. Don't do it, Pixar. You're just milking this franchise. And I'll be honest, I should have had more faith. Yeah, because... My attitude was Toy Story 3 was such a perfect ending, but most Pixar movies are really good to great, so... Yeah, yeah, clearly Pixar are one of the few companies that they really care about their stories. Unlike a Simon Curtis, they actually (laughs) sit down and wrestle with their ideas. That's kind of our theme for this episode, are what you do with your concept... Yeah, and it's so... The Toy Story franchise is old enough that we have engaged with it both as children and as adults. And I think one of the things that's so great about the Toy Story movies is how well they work as kids' movies that children can love, but also how really deep and sophisticated the Toy Story movies are and how they send you into existential dilemmas when you consider the nature of existence. Yes. And what does it mean to live the good life? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> this movie especially, you know, well, to give the premise really quickly, with Toy Story 4, it it picks up around where I think Toy Story 3 left off, where, um, although it has a prologue involving Bo Peep, who, you know, we learn in, like, one live dialogue in part 3 was given away, and... Um, now we find out that Woody now with this new owner, Bonnie, is not really, you know, he's not really favored much anymore. He's mostly kept in the closet. You know, J- uh, Jesse and other toys are more favored. But then uh, it's time for Bonnie to go to kindergarten, first day. Um, and a very touching little scene, Woody somehow manages to go along with her to try to keep her company and notices how sad she is and alone she is. And kind of plops on in front of her just stuff to keep her occupied like you know like popsicle sticks and 
what are those little red things that you twirl around? Pipe cleaners. Yeah, pipe cleaners? Yeah, that's what they're called. Oh. Very small pipe, safe clean. Um, and she creates a new character. She creates life. <clears throat> yes! <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, you're going to make me do it? Yes, do it. I create life! <laughs> and I destroy <laughs> Yes, Bonnie is basically Eddie Redmayne from Jupiter Ascending. <laughs> so, yes. Yes, she, so, so, like, the the rule, basically, in this universe, which... She has become God. Which, you know, it's a weird thing, though, if you think about it. Toys do come to life if they don't have the name written under them. I guess the idea, though, is something can come to life if the owner writes their name <laughs> under yeah. to claim it. And I guess if they feel strong about it. But yeah, this basically this pile of trash becomes a character named Forky. Yeah. Oh, it's also, like, too, he also throws, like, a spork. So Forky is our new character who, in a very, <laughs> like, it doesn't stop being funny... Forky keeps trying to commit suicide. Yes, Forky is suicidal. Because yeah, because Forky doesn't see himself as a toy. He sees himself as trash. But Woody sees it like, no, I have to try to keep this. I, I need to keep Forky around because it gives Bonnie purpose. Um, but then through like a road trip and some various things that happen. The movie really becomes about this idea of what does a toy mean? Like, what does life mean? Like, yes. what is your worth? And then what does your self-worth mean? If it means, you know, because you want to try to be useful, and then your purpose in life is what? Yeah. Where <coughs> where does self-worth come from? Because Woody has always defined himself through his service to Andy. But, eventually, every kid outgrows their toys, and... And in this case, too, it was one thing when he had Andy, but also now he's with a kid who doesn't treat... You know, he doesn't... She doesn't have any use for him, he's, but he still has it in his head. Yeah. You know, Forky kind of gives him a new lease on life, because if I can keep Forky around and try to keep him safe, then I have a purpose. But then they go to this carnival on the road trip, and, uh-oh, Bo Peep is there. Yep. And that opens a whole other door. We also get two other new characters. One, and they, they go into this antique shop, and there's this, like, other talking doll that can't really talk anymore, uh, voiced by Christina Hendricks, named Gabby Gabby. And what's great about her is you think she's the villain. Yeah. But even for, like, compared, like, with other Pixar movies, like, this this is, like, the... I'm not... I was about to make a comparison. I don't think it works. But, like, this... Gabby Gabby, I feel like it's to the Pixar universe what Killmonger is to MCU. <laughs> it's, like, it helps us to kind of understand, redefine, like, yeah. what a villain is. And granted, you know, they're not similar in any other regard. Like, Gabby's not yeah. committing mass murders, like, <laughs> and has, like, bumps all over her. But what she defines also as her purpose kind of puts things into perspective for Woody. Yeah. And then also there's another character. He's more of a... There are actually, actually a number of new characters, but 
like he and Peel play these stuffed animals, and From we'll, we can get to them. Yeah, we can get to them. Keanu Reeves, so good. I and I, I told you, I didn't. I had like an Oscar Isaac in X Men Apocalypse moment. Like, I, I, it's like I'd heard Keanu Reeves was in it, but I forgot. And then when I heard after watching the movie that was Keanu Reeves, like, wait, who's Keanu Reeves in it? Yeah, I didn't recognize him at first, and I should have. Because he's very recognizable. Yes, he plays Duke Kaboom, a Canadian evil Knievel ripoff. Yes, and oh, they have so much fun with that, showing like uh, how much he didn't work for his kid. Yeah, and there's in this movie, there is so much kind of heart tugging emotional need on the part of the toys. Because the toys want so desperately to be loved. So Gabby Gabby has always been a reject toy because her voice box was defective. And she wants nothing more than to have a relationship with a child. So she wants to steal Woody's functional voice box so a child will love her. And Duke Kaboom, the problem with him is he was gifted to a child. The child played with him for five seconds and realized... Hey, wait a minute. You're not cool like you are in the commercial. Yes. Yeah. You're false advertising. (laughs) You're you're false advertising, eh? (laughs) (laughs) Which, like, every kid has had that experience, I'm sure, where you get a toy and you realize, wow, this is really not what I was. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When you get, like, a, uh, uh, you know, a a knockoff, which, man, I've been, I went to, (laughs) this has no, this is like a, a little tangent. When I went to that National Wholesale Liquidators uh-huh. in, like, the few weeks before they closed, I looked at their toy aisle, and they had, like, so many types of Duke Kaboom toys. <laughs> and I mean, like, they had knockoffs of Batman and Superman. Were they called, like, Matman or something? I don't know. They might have, One of them might have been called Darkman <laughs> or something. I don't know, but they... It was called, no, instead of Justice League, it was like Action League uh-huh. or something like that. Um, yeah, so the, the the writing in this movie is very deep. I'd say this has almost, when it's at its best, the writing in this is as thoughtful as like Inside Out yeah. or Up or WALL-E or any of these movies that Pixar does where they really grapple with things. So amongst all these characters... Woody, Gabby Gabby, what are the names of the Key and Peel stuffed animals? Oh, I don't remember I don't now. remember. But you have all these toys who are longing to form the kind of bond between kid and toy that Andy and Woody had. Yeah, and in the middle of that, too, at the same time, Bo Peep kind of challenges the status quo because she's someone who... In a sense, kind of has a little bit of a flavor of Furiosa. She's from, very from Fury Road. She doesn't have the same goal as Furiosa and Fury Road, but because um, she's more independent in the way. Bo Peep is like I, you know, I haven't had a master for so long. <laughs> I'm feeling great. You know, I, I get to, you know, I still get to play with kids, but you know, there are these kids that go to, like this playground at the carnival, and it's great. 
you know. Yeah, so this movie, <laughs> Toy Story 4, it still introduces fresh ideas. So Bo Peep shows us a way of being a toy that we haven't seen before, where you don't form a long-term relationship with any individual child. You just, you travel from place to place, and a kid plays with you for a day or two when they find you in the park or find you in the carnival. And then they just leave you there. So really, she's almost challenged. She's kind of like a swinger challenging the institution of marriage. <laughs> to make it uncomfortably sexual. Yeah. That, like all these other toys are looking for monogamous relationships. She's with the one, one being like, kid. she's the one being like, hey, polyamory is great. <laughs> yes. You should try it. Stop being monogamous. Be more poly. That's that's like the that's like the end of the movie <laughs> when he becomes poly. So, uh, no, but yeah, it's and ultimately, I guess one thing against me, not against the movie, but one little flaw. The first time I watched it, it doesn't give that much for the other toys. Maybe yeah. the problem is that because you introduce these new characters, <clears throat> you get the problem maybe of too many characters. And so Buzz does join in on the adventure because uh -huh. he's trying to get Woody back to the RV and also, you know, get Forky as well because Forky's kind of kidnapped by Gabby Gabby and her, uh, you know, uh, doll minions. Yeah, her awesome ventriloquist dummy. Yes. Who don't talk. They're just, you know, <laughs> they're nightmare fuel. Um but the other toys, they kind of do things here and there, but they're not really part of the movie. Yeah, the classic toys beyond Woody and Buzz are not very prominent in the movie. Yeah, and I think somebody said that this might be the most Woody story of all these movies. Yeah. And I can kind of see that, because it's really his journey. It's him who's kind of coming to a real conclusion about what his purpose is and what he, what his life is all about. In a sense, by the end of the movie, he kind of gets to have like Captain America's ending and end game. Huh. Does yeah. that sound like it makes sense? It does. You know, where Captain America goes back and lives his life. Now Woody Allen, I call him Woody Allen. Uh Oh, <laughs> that's a different Woody. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's very, it's also very funny. Yeah. The movie, I was finding myself laughing a lot, especially with what they do with Key and Peele's characters. Yes. That was just, it was almost like, let's hit a laugh button, but in a good way. Whereas in yesterday, they tried to hit the laugh button and it was defective. <laughs> and it was like, hackneyed laugh, hackneyed laugh. You know, Toy Story 4, the laughs are big, big, big. <laughs> and also just to how, oh, they really do tug at your heartstrings, don't they? Yes, they do. It's like so many movies out this year and the one with these CGI toys they get so much emotion out of them yeah <clears throat> it's amazing how they just can still do that um and yeah and Tom Hanks of course brings it voice wise still um I like Christina Hendricks voice for Gabby Gabby I think she helps to bring a lot to that character um yeah and by the end of this movie Woody gets to have this kind of closure that you didn't expect that he'd get, but it feels right. Yeah, I would say that throughout a lot of the movie, you're <laughs> seeing Woody really struggle, and it's really heartbreaking. 
and because you can see that he's trying so hard to serve Bonnie, and he's trying so hard to do to be everything he can be to her, but he's also struggling with the fact that like Bonnie doesn't need or want him. Yeah, like Andy, he, he's like just Andy did. Yeah, he's just there. Like he's not of use. He's just there, and it. it you know, it, it, of course, it also makes the point, the idea of kids, again, they, they can be very, they might forget about a toy very quickly. Yeah. Like, even with Forky, I think they kind of make the suggestion that as upset as Bonnie gets when she first can't find Forky, you also, I also got the sense that if she doesn't find Forky, it actually won't be that bad for her. Yeah. And that was also a, a really interesting thing they could introduce there that well, these lot that these toys lives the fact that they're they could sometimes their self-actualization can be kind of rare yeah like even if they can even understand that they're useful like i think uh there's a point where bo peep I, takes woody into like this kind of back corner of the antique store and they're like all these old toys that are there mm-hmm. um and I think at one point, Woody let slip about him being like Andy's or Bonnie's toy. And one's like, oh my god, you're someone's toy? Yeah. And it's like, they it's not a concept they can even think of. Um, yeah, they do just a good, like, such a solid job of introducing. They introduce new ideas, but they're good ideas. Yeah. Like, they could have easily introduced... You know, there's no like midichlorians into this, <laughs> and there are no dumb ideas. Um, so even if I don't know if it's like a perfect movie or something like that, um, you know, I like also another criticism someone else said that I kind of am latching on to. At a certain point, I I don't know if they necessarily had to keep giving him things, but they kind of run out of stuff to do for Forky about halfway through. Well, once Forky accepts that he is a toy... There's not much for him left. He's just now a kind of goofy-looking toy. Yeah. And, you know, it's really... If they could have found a way maybe to stretch that to the end, that might have made it a little more satisfying. But as it is, it's still... You know, still... Tony Hale's great, too. Um, Any last thoughts about Toy Story 4? It's really good. It's very funny. Um, also, you got to cry a little bit. I cried a little bit. Not actually with the ending for Woody. What really made me cry? What what made me cry is when Gabby Gabby finally finds a kid. Oh yeah, and it's and they do kind of set it up to be a bit manipulative in a way, um, the way that they establish that. But yeah. they still play it so well. Uh, I can almost picture it now, and it just fills me with such warmth. Yeah. That, the, the, again, this idea that, um, in a way, it, it kind of twists a little bit. Not twists, but in the first Toy Story movie, <clears throat> you know, they, they make, you know, Sid is supposed to be the antagonist. Yeah. But what I've always liked, especially with the first movie and the fourth movie, what I think they have in common you know, Sid, you know, even though he's the quote-unquote bad guy who's keeping Andy yeah. and, you know, he's keeping Woody and Buzz from 
you know, doing what they do. He's a lot like kids at that age, though. Well, yeah, I mean, Sid has no reason to believe that toys are sentient, that they can think and feel. So really, in the moral universe that Sid lives in, there is nothing wrong with, like, dismembering toys and putting them back together into weird... Yeah, like, well, I think we listened to some review where they talked about how the animators... Yeah. Um were really related more to Sid. You know, Andy's just kind of like, oh, I like to play with toys. Blah, blah, blah. Not not, not exciting. Sid is an artist. Yeah, and very... <laughs> and, and you almost feel bad for him then because you understand him. Like, yeah, he's, you know, a punk who, you know, d- does things like... At one point, he does, like, the ma- sun magnifier glass thing to put a hole in uh, Woody's head. But... You know, like, what they do to him, it's kind of cruel. They reveal the toy's sentience. And you just picture, like, that's where he started doing crack and started, like, joining incels. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that would probably... A revelation like that would really mess up your life. Yeah, yeah. And so, in that sense, not that Sid or Gabby Gabby are the same, but, like, the way that they the writers do such a clever job of not making these characters that unsympathetic. You know exactly where Gabby Gabby's coming from, and she turns around and isn't even really, you know, a villain at a certain point. Like, in a way, they, they kind of show that with that type of character, in a less thoughtful movie, she might just be a villain yeah, all straight through, but in this, they kind of turn her around. Yeah. It's very funny, it's heartwarming, it's still fresh and creative. There was still enough meat on the bone creatively to make just, for a it, very satisfying picture. It justified its existence, which you can't say about all movies. Um, but speaking of toys that talk... Oh yeah, transition. See, see that's a much better transition, I think. Um, <clears throat> we saw Child's Play 2019. We did. Um and also watched a lot of other Child's Play movies, which we can maybe, you know, work in and out of our conversation about it. Um, now, I know we saw this a few weeks ago, uh, but I think I, I still remember it pretty well. I think Me you too. do, too. Um, I I enjoyed the new remake up to a point, but I think my issue with it might be not quite the same thing, but, <clears throat> well... I was about to compare it to the Halloween remake. Mm-hmm. I think if I had to choose, I would maybe choose the Child's Play remake. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> because I think the Child's Play, this new movie, has a better setup and better human characters. Mm-hmm. But it also, for me, kind of dropped the ball in the last part. Where I think you liked it more than I did. Yeah, well, I would say that <clears throat> I... One thing I appreciated about the Child's Play remake is that it really is pretty different than the original. Yeah. It has the same very, very basic premise, and the characters have the same names, but it's not like a shot-by-shot remake or anything. Oh, no, no, it isn't. And they, for better or worse, they do change up dynamics with the, the family that that gets the doll, the Chucky doll. And, of course, for 2019, they decided, okay, instead of killer finds a doll, 
puts his soul into the dolls. He's dying. You know, doll runs around and is now uh, a serial killer. <laughs> um, and this, it's basically like if you took... I thought of actually early on the movie Spielberg's AI, mm-hmm. but... You know, it's but if the the car- but the AI was even more defective than Haley Joel Osment so, is. Yeah, I actually <clears throat> I preferred the origin story for Chucky in this movie to the origin story uh, in see, the original. See, I don't know you if I prefer the original. I think I do still prefer the original because the original just is a little bit more simple. This one, the the, the setup is more like well, originally the, there's. They, they introduced the whole idea and it's kind of a clever couple first seconds where they introduced that there are AI dolls that are like Amazon echoes that yeah. do like a lot of other things in your house. Like they can be toys, but they also like, will tell you what weather it is. Yeah. And although it's kind of stupid if you think about it, cause why wouldn't you just get an echo? Well, there's the company in this movie is called Kasdan. And to me, it seems kind of like a mashup between the Amazon Echo and Google Home. So the Kasdan machine that Chucky is will control your home, like the lights, the thermostat, playing music, and also do things that like an Alexa would. So, yeah, like it, it can play music, I guess, or do whatever. Um, and of course, Chucky still wants to just be your friend. And well, this Chucky is defective because again, a th- yeah, suicidal yeah. Vietnamese factory worker um, turns off the violence inhibitor. Yeah, that's where you have to really. That's where it gets a little more complicated for me. Yeah, it turns off the violence <laughs> inhibitor, and then he kills himself. And somehow, this doll goes to market. By some miracle, no one has bought it, and they make the setup because they're, you know, planting the, what will be the climax of the movie, where the company already has had out these dolls, and now they're getting ready for a launch of their new doll, which has blonde hair, and it looks like nobody currently in the news, (laughs) like a certain president. Well, I... No, no, seriously, that's supposed to look like Trump. Really? Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, the, the, the 2.0 version, okay. not Chucky. Yeah. Um, so basically you have Aubrey Plaza. She's just like in the, not just like, but in the original movie, Catherine Hicks was the mom. She had a six-year-old kid, Andy. Um, she bought the, the doll for Andy for his birthday. This time, Andy's a bit older. He's around nine. He almost seems like he's about 12. Yeah, I... I- I thought he was older than that in the movie. Yeah. I thought he was like 11 or which is okay. Which, in a way, though, the movie acknowledges when she gives him the doll, he's like, this is stupid. Why'd you give me a doll? This is so, like, lame. But then he kind of grows to kind of like it because he... They try to establish... Do they establish in this new movie that they've also just moved or something? Well... I, I, maybe that was in the trailer and they cut that out of the movie. They've established that he's just moved, but they're kind of downwardly mobile economically because his father's dead. Right. Yeah. Father's dead, and also Abby Plaza, who they do they do say that she had Andy when she was young yeah. because she almost looks like she could be his sister, which is a good you know touch. Uh, like she's dating another guy who's a total asshole. 
and he's also married to someone else. That plays into the movie. Um, so I actually liked... I think my favorite part of the movie was the first part, where they're establishing Andy and Chucky together, and then also Andy then starts to get his own friends, um, which is also a departure from the original, which is fine. The, the remake makes it cl- makes it clear, though, this is from the producers of It, so take that as what you will. Um, yeah. But the... And I was actually with it, I think, until about halfway through. And I was still... Because, like, the first kill in the movie, and even what they do with that kill, I was actually a fan... I actually was enjoying. I think what started to lose me was when Chucky started to kill other people. Well, one thing, because of the different premise, Chucky is not full-on, unambiguously evil. No, they, the no, if anything, and I, this is kind of a, it's an interesting touch that maybe they, it's a, it's a, it's a satirical jab that they could have maybe expanded on more. Chucky almost has to learn to be violent. Yeah, he's corrupted by his environment. The, the kids watch uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. And Chucky hears Andy complaining about his mother's horrible boyfriend, and... I think another reason why I preferred this kind of personality for Chucky is Chucky has a kind of, I am an absolute sucker for that kind of single white female ass obsession um, where like, I have to totally control you and dominate you and I, I'm your friend so that means... I only talk to you, and I love you so much that I want to be you, and I would kill for you. I'm just such a sucker for that. See, I guess I'm not, and that's where we're different. I feel like the problem is the motivation for me seemed a little bit confused in that sense, because, yeah, he does that. Like, he does have that where he wants to please Andy no matter what, and misreads him complaining about his his the guy dating his mom. I call him stepdad, but he's not really a stepdad. But the guy treats Andy like crap. Chucky hears this and realizes, okay, I should do something about this guy. That's murder number one. And how Chucky presents the kill to him. That's actually kind of clever. That almost reminded me of, like, um, when we hear... Well, I think you dealt with... You had this, and maybe our friend Matt, Dania, we've heard on the podcast before had this, where... Sometimes, like, cats will kill a mouse and present it to you as a gift. Yes. Like, that's kind of what Chucky does in this, and that's what I liked. But after that, that's where, like, when when Andy starts to really reject Chucky, that's where, like, when Chucky starts really going haywire and starts going after other people, like, uh, uh, Brian Tyree Henry is in the movie, and he's a cop who lives down the hall, um... That that gets a little bit complicated, and they try to have some comedy with that. That's yeah. a little bit crazy. I almost, pr- I just kind of prefer maybe the cleanness of killer going after characters, and and also just because Br- Brad Dourif, I think, played that a little bit better for me than Mark Hamill. Mark Hamill finds his own route into the character, which I appreciated, but I still, I think, prefer Brad Dourif. I I really like them both. I really like Brad Dirk doing the voice. I really like Mark Hamill. Oh, no, Hamill. no, no. I do like Mark Hamill, but I just... Um, when Mark Hamill's having to play it sweet, I think he does well. When he needs to suddenly get, like, sounding evil, 
near the end. I think he struggles a little bit to not sound like the Joker. I do wish the design of the Chucky doll had been a little different. Yeah, that's a major thing for me. I don't really He doesn't look like a doll that most people would own. Like the original Chucky, the original good guy doll looks like a doll from that time and that you could see a kid owning. This doll has like a fucked up face. Yeah, the doll is too obviously weird looking, which actually... Ashley and I were saying that about the Annabelle doll, too. Now, we haven't seen any of the Annabelle movies, but we were talking about how stupid it is that that, dis- that, that doll looks so obviously malevolent. Yeah, yeah. Whereas- you need to have a, a, a Chucky who doesn't look malevolent on first look so that when it suddenly springs into... Like, I still think the moment in the original Child's Play where Chucky, Chucky suddenly comes into his own in Catherine Hicks' arms, like, and it starts to attack her. That's a great little moment. So for me, the ideal would be the look of Chucky from the original, but the backstory and motivations of the Chucky in the 2019 version, which I do prefer. Mm. I I can kind of see some of it working, but then, again, it, it once you start getting into Chucky controlling like a self-driving car that this company also has and uses i know that sequence was the one where it got a little weird oh there's also a probably one of them there's a little bit awkward writing in the movie which maybe we could talk about because the 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 boyfriend dies in like a watermelon patch in his backyard which leads brian tyree henry to make a little joke about a white man and watermelon, which was the oh my god, I literally I don't know if you just heard me face in palm my right seat. There. It was so cringy. I mean, there are a couple of jokes that are really cringy in this movie, um, and just what they do with like a character's head at yeah. one point. That that shenanigans went on a little bit long for me. But I, I could see why they. Put I did it into it. like though that this is a movie that earns its R rating in terms of score. No, it I does. No, that. it does earn its R rating. And again, I, I sound like I'm shitting on the movie, but I did like how yeah. they established the characters starting with it. Like I liked Andy and the mother in this. I think in the beginning more than the original, but I think I still prefer Chucky from the original. I get what you're saying. See, I. I was very hot and cold on Aubrey Plaza's performance. Yeah, there there were times where I think when she was just kidding around, she was okay. When she had to play it serious, I didn't think she did well. Yeah, and we both absolutely love the movie Ingrid Goes West. Yeah. So, I'm... In that, I absolutely loved her, but I also think she's one of those performers that gets kind of typecast. And basically, just like repeats her parts in rec role. Yeah. Now she you doesn't saw quite... her in Legion, which I haven't. Oh no, no, that that's very different. She she definitely brings a different. So I know she's capable of having range, but in this movie, almost scene to scene, I was like hot and cold on her performance. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah, very inconsistent. Because at first, I thought they were going to develop more with her, but at a certain point. They don't do as much with her as I might have liked. Like, it's more about Andy. 
So at times, I thought her performance was good. At times, though, I thought she did some line readings that were just bad. Yeah. And it's weird, too, because with the climax, it starts pretty... It, it's, it's, it starts out fun. It starts out kind of exciting because you realize, oh, Chucky is at this big toy opening and is taking over lots of stuff with his you know, Alexa powers Mm. and he can do that. And that's a cool thing to see. But then the second part of the climax is more of a generic. I have your mom tied up and you must do that. You must love me. Mm. And that's where they see. That's the thing though. You love those single white female trope, but it leads to something we've seen many times. You're right that the movie becomes more generic as it goes on. And I also agreed with you that, I didn't need to see his apartment wonder pals so much. Apartment. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Well, again, yeah, the, his friends are in this. Like Andy has these friends in the movie who are so stock. You have like chubby friend. You have hip girlfriend, and it's not quite like I don't know if necessarily it was because producers also did it. I'm just guessing. I'm just throwing out there the idea that these producers thought, well, it worked in It. Let's give Andy some child friends who can help him go up against the bad guy. But ultimately, they don't do that much. They help him with a couple of little things. And I guess they also try to establish that there's more going on in this apartment complex. But um, so I guess that there are enough enjoyable things to say it's worth seeing. The kills, as you said, are really good as far as being R-rated and very yeah. grisly. And a couple of them actually made me go, oh! Yeah, so... Like, there are a couple of moments where Chucky really goes to town, and it works. Yeah. So but at the very end, that's what left me a little cold. So yeah, as I say every time we talk about a horror movie... I'm really sick of PG-13 pap. So anytime a movie is actually bloody enough to get the R, that makes me happy. Because I want some blood in my horror movies, for God's sakes. <laughs> yeah, and you know, pr- preferably real blood. And this one had some. Um, had a couple of moments with CGI Chucky that I thought were unconvincing. Wasn't there a part where Chucky like is like going towards the camera? Yeah. That looked pretty bad. Um, how, if they ever do a Child's Play 2 from this, I'll be curious what they do from that. Yeah. Because uh, you can't really have the body voodoo transference stuff <laughs> like they did. You have to get... Basically, you have to keep repeating where another guy decides to go AWOL and make another defective doll. <laughs> Which, you know, brings me to, you know, the fact that we also watched all the sequels, too. The, the that Child's we did. Play movies. And with those, I can just talk about them really quick. Um, two is worth seeing. Three is not worth seeing. Four is kind of, is pretty fun, uh, which is Bride of Chucky. It's, oh. Seed of Chucky. So terrible. More like seed of my ass. <laughs> Sorry, I had nothing more clever than that. And it's not fun bad. Yeah, I mean, as the Child's Play movies went on, it's, it's amazing to think about how um, 
like supposedly this new remake they kind of screwed over well depending on who you talk to like they might have screwed over the creator or maybe the original creator of these movies just kind of ran out of steam but i don't know like the like the guy this guy don mancini he's been behind all these movies since the first one and it's funny to see how they kind of go up and down in quality very sharply in these movies. There's not, like, really consistency, although it's interesting to think about how, unlike with Freddy and the Halloween movies, it's been the same guy behind them. Yeah, and that means there's continuity from film to film. So don't do what I did, like, I don't know, a year, a year and a half ago, around, I guess. I don't even know. But I saw that the movie Cult of Chucky was on Netflix, and at the time, the only Chucky movie I had seen had been the first one, and I had seen it, oh, 15, 20 years ago. But I popped it on, and I was like, I'll watch this movie. I'm, you know, these horror, these horror franchise movies all stand alone. They're all pretty interchangeable. You can watch anyone in any order. No. That is not true. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you're lucky you didn't watch Seed of Chucky before some of the other ones. And now that I've seen all of them, I kind of feel like the first trilogy have strong continuity. Then Bride of Chucky, Seed of Chucky are like a little pod. And then Curse of Chucky and Cult of Chucky. You really, if you're going to. They're almost like movements in a symphony. <laughs> Exactly. The Great Chucky <laughs> Symphony. <laughs> so, yeah. I liked Cult of Chucky, which you haven't seen, but yeah. it's actually... I heard, I heard Curse of Chucky's a little lame. Well, Curse of Chucky is, I guess, more conventional. Yeah. Cult of Chucky is kind of, like, pleasantly weird. However, it kind of um, changes the mythology of how possession yeah, works. because you told me that in Cult of Chucky you can have multiple possessions. Yeah, so Chucky can inhabit multiple bodies simultaneously. That's, that's dumb. Also, the beginning, of, the beginning of Cult of Chucky is really confusing if you haven't yeah. seen Curse of Chucky. Now, I should say that starting with the second movie, I think they immediately set up like, alright, we're gonna throw logic out even our own logic out the window because they had established in the first movie you kill Chucky by getting him in the heart. Yeah. And that's what they do at the end of the movie. They shoot him in the heart, which effectively is supposed to kill him. But the start of the second movie, it's like they, instead of, I don't know, throwing the doll away, <laughs> they remake the doll. Like, they take his head off or, yeah, I think they take the head off. I don't think they do other stuff. And they make a whole new Chucky body. For reasons. Reasons, because, well, it involves the doll company being greedy whores. And somehow, Chucky's back. And I kind of, overall, kind of enjoyed the second one. Mostly for the finale set in the toy store, where it becomes a body horror movie. Yes. Involving the different ways that Chucky's body is torn apart. The third movie, it's weird because the third movie almost makes more sense to set up how Chucky gets a new body than in the second movie. 
But the third movie just is lame as, as a generic It's sequel. very, very bland and pretty boring. Yeah, they, they set it in one location. You could have done anything with it, considering the the fact that Andy shouldn't even be involved with the movie anymore. And it's just, it feels very rushed and kind of lame. Now, I haven't seen Bride Chucky in a very long time, but you watched that again, and yeah. I think you said you enjoyed it. Yeah, the thing is, Bride of Chucky is when the movie just becomes, like, an overt comedy. My only problem with Bride of Chucky is that it spends way too much time with the super generic teen characters. Featuring Katherine Heigl. Yes, a young Katherine Heigl. And... Where the movie should have... Re- Honestly, the movie probably should have been just, like... Um, it should have been a domestic comedy drama yeah. with uh, Chucky and Tiffany. Yes. Yeah. So, I, I, I remember their scenes the most. I remember nothing about Captain Hyde well, and the other guy. they're really boring, and they get way too much screen time. Yeah, and so. that's also the movie where they establish Chucky and Tiffany can fuck... And he make can a make a baby, which is what leads into Seed of Chucky, which is... Very bad. Bad! <laughs> so I had to make sure I put my mouth very close up to the mic when I said that. Bad! Bad, bad, bad! Yes. Ch- Seed of Chucky is is trying to be even more of a comedy. I don't even know if you could even call it a slasher movie. I guess it is because multiple people technically do die. Including John Waters, which yes. I don't even want to talk about. And which red man is it? Ah, no! Oh, oh! Don't don't tarnish the good red man's name by even mentioning it. Yeah, red man is in this. He's the director, and it's amazing to read the trivia page for this movie too, and see how delusional Don Mancini is. Like Don Mancini should have put this script in a shelf and never shown it to anyone. You should have maybe thrown it up on, like, erotic fanfiction website, because <laughs> that's kind of what this is. And, oh god, it involves their son, who may not be a son, he may be a they. And, oh god. There's oh. a lot of gender confusion because their son is not anatomically correct. Yes. He's just smooth down there like a Barbie or a Kendall. And guess what? Down Mancini, uh, they did this already. They did it with Alan Rickman and Dogma. So, fuck you. Um, <laughs> like, and I... I guess I could try to say, well, maybe he's trying to do something meta, but this is how you do meta wrong. Yeah, like... Being meta in and of itself does not make a good movie. You actually have to tell funny or clever meta jokes. Yeah, and it's not funny. Like, if it maybe was funny, that would excuse some things, but it's not funny. Oh, God, and some of it in 2019 is so dated because they're going for topical humor. They have a Britney Spears joke. And, and she appears in it. She's actually in this movie. And they have really cutting edge, like Anna Nicole Smith jokes. <laughs> I mean, I know Bribe Chucky had Martha Stewart jokes, but at least you could say, like, well, Martha Stewart, we know who she is now. Fucking Redman hasn't done anything since this movie. <laughs> you know, and I like Redman. I think I actually kind of like him in the movie How High. I don't know what he's doing in this movie. I th- well, what I read in the trivia was originally they wanted Quentin Tarantino 
to play the director. Yeah. Fat chance of that. And, of course, what they do with Jennifer Tilly is ridiculous. What they should have done was had both Jennifer Tilly and Brad Dourif. Like, I don't know why he wasn't in it. I agree. You know, that would have made it a little more engaging. But, uh, yeah, I know we've been talking about these movies for a while. Um, I would actually say that after the original, I would rank the remake right under that. Like, it's actually kind of close. I know I was saying I like the original yeah. Child's Play more than the remake. But I did enjoy the remake enough to say that if you were to see that at, like, a matinee price, it wouldn't be that much of a waste of time. I probably like the remake a little more than the original. For me, most of the Chucky movies are movies that I would give, like, mild recommendations. Yeah, they're... they're, Like, three out of five stars. Yeah, they're not movies that are necessarily high art, but... As far as when you have all these the, the classic horror franchises, you know, your Halloweens and Friday the 13th, Chucky's kind of relegated to more of the bottom tier. Yeah. But there's good stuff in them overall, and Brad Dourif is the reason that a lot of them hold up. But, um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're good, just bloody-ass horror movies with, with him at the center. Yes. Um, yeah, so anyway, I don't know what else to say about these movies. But... Okay, so are we done? <laughs> I know, there's not an elegant way to wrap that, all that up, but uh, thanks, guys, for listening. If you have any comments, you can listen to us at wagescinema at gmail.com. If you've seen Yesterday, Toy Story 4, Child's Play, any of these movies, if, you've seen, if you see Yesterday and like it, please tell me why so I can find out where you live. <laughs> like I'm not even that mad about the movie but I'm just curious to know why you like it um, so thank you for listening to us go on for so long uh, or me go on for so long for my dear wife for listening to me <laughs> I am wifely duty score after all you are and I'm Jack and I'm <laughs> your wifely duty Corey, and I'm the mad mouth Jack <laughs> That'll be my nickname from now on. The Mad Mouth. You know, you have the Mad King. I'm the Mad Mouth. And don't forget, guys, the wage of cinema is death. Hugs. Have a good night.